Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that, said Martin Luther King Jr. I woke up this morning and I'm still black. First and foremost, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to join me on this journey. 2020 has been a very eventful year and we still have a couple months to go. Today in episode one, we're going to discuss the COVID pandemic and why it's devastated the black community. We're also going to talk about police brutality and the movement that was born out of George Floyd's death. Now, the beginning of this year brought us the COVID pandemic. The COVID pandemic didn't create disparities, but it sure enough exposed them. If you look at all the data and look at what's going on in regards to different races, the black community has been disproportionately affected by this pandemic. Black counties in the U.S., which are those defined as counties in which 13% or greater of the population is black, make up half of all the COVID cases and 60% of the deaths in the U.S. If you look state by state, it's even worse. The percentage of the population that blacks make up versus the actual percent of deaths is staggering. In Louisiana, Blacks make up 32% of the population, 70% of the deaths. Illinois, 15% of the population, 42% of the deaths. Michigan, 14% of the population, 41% of the deaths. In North Carolina, we see 22% of the population, 37% of the deaths. So the first question that I ask was why is this one group of people so susceptible to this virus? The answer, socioeconomic factors like neighborhood, jobs, and healthcare. So let's start at the beginning, where you live. The neighborhoods blacks live in are densely populated areas. Yes, I'm talking about urban areas, but I'm really talking about the projects. Small apartments that are densely populated within themselves. In most cases, a number of family members are crammed into one small apartment. The number of people who live in those apartments vary, but let's just say there's limited space to be shared. I know when I was growing up, I remember staying over my cousin's house. We would have sleepovers. I mean, some of the most memorable times of my life. But due to limited space, there would be four of us in one bed, two at the headboard and two at the foot of the bed four across. The funny thing about this is that I know a lot of you can relate. No one thought about the situation as tough or unfortunate. It was just what we knew. I mean, we didn't know we were poor. We didn't know we were the have-nots. We just knew we had family, and when family needed help, you helped (laughs) with whatever you had. And sometimes that was simply a place to sleep. But when the CDC says you should social distance, in most cases, you don't have the ability to social distance. This is simply due to your living situation. There's only so much space and only so far you can go. So to avoid a family member who is contracted to coronavirus, it's next to impossible. So the next question, 
Why do blacks live in the projects? Why do they choose to live in these neglected areas? The answer, they don't. Let's talk about redlining. This was essentially a state-sponsored system of segregation. The program was designed to provide suburban housing to white middle and lower class families. African Americans and other people of color were left out. They were not permitted to participate in this program. So what happened? Black and brown families, they were pushed to the projects, which is why Till this day, you see black and brown Americans still living in the projects. Now, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) This is ridiculous. How could the government do this? Well, the federal government justified their position by saying that if blacks lived in the suburbs or anywhere near the suburbs, the property value would go down. So this meant that the loans that they had provided to the white, middle and lower class families, they would be put at risk. This program was started way back in 1933, and we still clearly see the effects of this program till this day. So when you think about what's going on in this country now, the inequality that we see, just remember that the government gave the middle class and poor whites the opportunity to create wealth, own their own homes. I mean, we all know that housing prices did nothing but appreciate until the bubble burst in 2008. Just think about how that program changed those families' lives and the opportunities it provided them. Also think about how the government played a major role in segregation, separating blacks and whites, giving whites the opportunity to move to the suburbs, own their own homes, but then specifically preventing people of color from participating in this program and keeping them in these urban areas away from where they believed they would negatively impact their precious loans. Yes, the government did that. So now we live in urban areas, tight, densely packed neighborhoods. And if you live in these densely, pa- these densely populated areas, what do you use for transportation? <laughs> Why, public transportation, of course. When you live in the city, most don't own a car because it just simply doesn't make sense to own a vehicle and have all the associated costs. So transportation consists of buses, trains, subways, and the occasional cab, Uber, Lyft, and the like. But for the most part, public transportation means large groups of people in tight spaces, breathing all over each other, potentially infecting one another with the coronavirus. So We examined neighborhoods and how densely populated areas have contributed to the higher number of cases and coronavirus in the black community. The next socioeconomic factor we are going to discuss is jobs. In this new world of essential workers, blacks make up 30% of bus drivers, 20% of food service workers, janitors, cashiers, food stockers. Blacks are also overrepresented in jobs like Child care, social services, personal care aides, social workers, nursing assistants, warehouse and meatpacking workers. And if you think about all of those jobs, the one thing that they have in common is that they're all hands-on jobs, in-person jobs, jobs that don't allow for proper social distancing. And if you don't show up, you don't get paid. 
And if you do show up and you don't have the proper personal protective equipment, then you risk being infected with COVID. And even if you do have an N95 mask, gloves, the proper PPE, you still run the risk of being infected by COVID. So the jobs that a lot of black and brown people in these urban areas have are jobs in which they cannot sit down at their computer and send an email, hop on a conference call, or simply join a video conference and do their work. They don't have the option to stay home. They need to show up in person and do the job that needs to get done. When you show up to the grocery store and you see those cashiers working behind the plexiglass day in and day out, putting themselves at risk just so we can get our groceries, those people are essential workers and those people are putting themselves at risk so that they can provide for their families. There are a number of people who do that every single day in order for us to continue to get what we need to take care of our families. For those listening, the doctors, nurses, all those that are working the front line in this pandemic, the essential jobs that are keeping America running, that have continued to show up and do what needs to be done, I see you and I appreciate all that you do. The last socioeconomic factor that I'm going to highlight is healthcare. Now, the healthcare disparity is one of the biggest issues revealed during this COVID pandemic. When you talk about who has insurance and who does not, blacks are more likely than whites to have jobs that do not offer health insurance. They are one and a half times more likely to be uninsured than whites. And they also may fall into the health insurance coverage gap. They make too much money to get Medicaid and too little for assistance under the Affordable Care Act. Minorities and black people in particular have pre-existing conditions that may also put us at a higher risk for death when thinking about the coronavirus. Diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, kidney disease, and obesity are common healthcare issues that blacks in America face. The occupations with the largest number of uninsured workers are construction laborers, cooks, drivers, cashiers, waiters, waitresses, janitors, housekeepers, carpenters, landscapers, and retail salespeople. If you look at the numbers, these are jobs that are held by black and brown people. And when you look at the number of COVID deaths and the reason they're so high, the exposure that these individuals have because of the fact that they have to go to work on a daily basis in order to get paid, in order to take care of their families, so they are constantly being exposed, potentially, to the virus. There are still other issues with the healthcare system. The National Academy of Medicine found that racial and ethnic minorities receive lower quality healthcare than white people, even if the insurance status income, age, and severity of the conditions are comparable. So all things being equal, minorities still receive inadequate health care in comparison to white people. By providing lower health care, they meant physicians are providing inferior care to their black patients 
and it was concluded that some people in the United States were more likely to die from cancer, heart disease, and diabetes simply because of their race or ethnicity and not due to lack of access to health care. So even when all things are equal, simply being black or brown in America can lead to your death, even when you believe that you should be getting quality health care. Insurance is important, but we need to think about our health care system and who it truly benefits and how health care is being provided to those who truly need it. We talked about socioeconomic factors that cause some of the issues around this COVID pandemic. Also, there are a number of systemic issues, systemic racism that clearly is presented when you think about the health care that minorities are receiving in this country and how they're treated within the healthcare system. We need to start thinking about the healthcare system and how we can actually fix it so that people are receiving the proper care, no matter who they are. As we've discussed, the start of 2020 brought about the coronavirus pandemic, which clearly illuminated the inequalities here in America as displayed in the overwhelming number of deaths in the black community from the virus. This example of social injustice and inequality, along with the countless deaths of blacks at the hands of hate and bigotry, led to an outcry for justice. Michael Brown. Tamir Rice. Eric Garner. Freddie Gray. Alton Sterling. Philando Castile. Stefan Clark, Brianna Taylor, George Floyd. These are just a few names of those who were killed by police, as you all know. There are a lot of other names that I could have added to this list. This has been a really emotional time for me, my family, and my friends. And I know a lot of you would agree. There has just been too much for too long and these incidents have happened way too often. I'm tired of watching this happen again and again with nothing changing. But before I get into this, let me just say, I have family and friends that are in law enforcement. I love and respect them and the job that they do. I know that we have all had different interactions with police, good and bad, But not all cops are bad cops. I know, unfortunately, we remember the negative interactions with police. I know I had an officer that pulled me over for having tinted windows, which is illegal in New Jersey. So he was well within his right to pull me over. But when he saw that I had a PBA card, because he didn't like my tone, he said, you should have more respect because you have family in law enforcement. I said, you don't get respect for just showing up. You earn respect by what you do and how you treat others. So just because someone is in a position of authority, this doesn't mean they deserve your respect. The way that they move, the way that they operate, that should earn your respect. Not just because they show up should you be or should you have to give them your respect. Seeing the death of George Floyd play out right in front of us on TV 
and the blatant disregard that the police officer showed for his life ignited anger and frustration that we as a people have been feeling for years. The difference this time is it's not just us. The diversity that we see in these largely peaceful protests is truly inspiring. Well, inspiring for most and scary for those who know what type of change can be brought about by unity amongst people and their disgust for what happened. There were protests in multiple states in the U.S., in multiple countries in Europe, all over the world. People locked arms and said, this is unacceptable. Now, while these protests have been largely peaceful, there have definitely been a few that have not been there for the protest. They're there for themselves. They're there to tear down and destroy. Now, I mean, I understand all the anger and frustration, but burning down our own communities, destroying and looting our stores, hurting our own people, our neighbors, we have to do better. You have entrepreneurs that started businesses in our community to not only provide a service to our community, but also take care of their own families. They're trying to build something. We need to know our power. The black dollar matters. Black wealth matters. And once we begin to move as a cohesive unit and build each other up, that's when we're going to see true change. We have to stop asking others to give us something and we need to create our own something. We have to work together and not contribute to the negative narrative of those that want to change the story. We must also be cognizant of how those who want to detract from the positive will use anything to paint the movement in a negative light. We can't give them that opportunity. If we start moving and working as a collective, we protest in a collective, cohesive manner, we start working together to vote people into power that represent us so that we can actually get legislation passed that will benefit our community, we have to keep our eyes open. I know that there have been numerous times I was watching the news and saw that there were cinder blocks, bricks, and rocks just sitting on corners in the middle of cities. Those people who want chaos and violence, putting the tools of destruction right at your fingertips, hoping you pick them up and do what they want you to do. We have to be smarter than that. Peaceful protests will always garner more support than destructive, violent protests. We've seen some changes. The movement has changed. The opportunity has changed. Now, what we have to do is take advantage of the change and continue to push forward. We have the support. We have people who are behind us. We have people recognizing and seeing that there is truly systemic and institutional racism. That there are a number of unjust issues that we face in America. That it's not black people are just lazy, uneducated, and don't want to do better. They are supporting us in this movement. We have to do a better job of voting, putting people in place that look like us, 
think like us and know what we need as a people so we get our agenda moved forward. One of the issues we have is we continue to listen to the politicians that are out there saying, hey, we understand you. We're here for you. But when you look at the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, what have they done for black America? I know what you're thinking. That's a good question. There has not been any significant change in the lives of black America for decades. We need to realize simply voting for the president doesn't get it done. Local elections, state elections, and then the presidency. We need to have representatives at every single level in order to advance our agenda. If we don't do this, we are going to continue to be in the same situation we are in now, listening to lip service. Politicians talking about what they're going to do for us to get our vote, and when they get elected, we don't hear anything from them. They don't do anything. We need to change that and vote people in who work to actually enact legislation. Create actual laws that will benefit us and our people. I know that I'm sick and tired of all the lip service. I want action. Let me make two points before I get out of here. First point, symbolic gestures. Painting Black Lives Matter on the street, yes, that's nice. And it's a tourist attraction and people see it and they believe or they don't believe that Black Lives Matter. That is meaningful and it causes conversation and that puts eyes on it. But don't get caught up in symbolic gestures because we need real change. Symbolism is important. Seeing the information, making people think about who these individuals are that have been slain by police and what's happened to them is extremely important. But please do not get sidetracked by paintings on a street don't let these little acts distract from the greater movement to get what we really need. True change occurs when we have legislation enacted and bills passed. When laws are changed, then and only then will true justice be realized for us as a community and all those who've lost their lives. My second point, defunding the police. While I understand that there is a lot of anger and frustration with those that have abused their power. The thought that the solution to this issue is to simply get rid of the police, I think could not be more wrong. The opportunity, I believe, is one where we reform the police so we can get rid of bad cops. We need to take the time to be thoughtful about how we can establish new rules and add guardrails so that police can protect and serve everyone. We can address the issues of why some police officers have such a high level of fear when they encounter black males. We can address the need for psychological evaluations so that we can try to identify those who come into the job with racist or bigoted views. We can also address training. How are police being taught to de-escalate situations instead of inflaming them? How often are police speaking with mental health professionals to deal with the issues that they have personally? 
These are individuals that see things that are not normal. They work in a high-stress environment that we as non-police officers may never see or deal with. They may need to speak with someone to figure out how to deal with these issues. And there needs to be, at a minimum, an annual evaluation of police officers so we can make sure they get what they need. I know that you have heard my children read quotes and the names of those who have lost their lives. The reason I brought them on this journey is because learning about what is going on in this world is important. Understanding that there are things in this world that are wrong and need to be changed. If we do not discuss this with the next generation, we are doing them a real disservice. Home training is the most important training of all. This is where children learn early on what is right and what is wrong. Hate is not genetic. It is learned. So if you believe that we can do better, start in your own home. I mentioned my kids and the need to speak to youth, but it's never too late to listen, to learn, and to change. We need to have these uncomfortable conversations so that everyone can be comfortable in this world. The next episode on I Woke Up This Morning and I'm Still Black, we will continue this conversation. We're going to talk about sports leagues, the NBA, NFL, and NASCAR, and how they're addressing this social justice movement. We will also discuss the Confederate statues and monument controversy. There's a lot to address. I look forward to continuing this journey with you. Thank you again for your time. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite, said Nelson Mandela. I woke up this morning, and I'm still black. Oh, <laughs>